De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host, Doug Bell. And today we're going to be talking about what product-led sales is and why it's becoming increasingly important. Joining us is Thomas Schiavone, who is the CEO and co-founder at Calixa, which is the product-led sales platform that turns product data into closed one. So far this week, Thomas and I have talked about, do you need product-led sales? And today, we're going to be wrapping up our conversation by talking about data and machine learning's role in product-led sales. Okay, here's my conversation with Thomas Schiavone, the CEO and co-founder at Calixa. Cool conversation yesterday, Thomas. And I think that the place I want to start today is with the data piece. Your machine learning can be incredibly clever. If the data is bad, machine learning doesn't matter, right? And I'm going to guess that some of the tough parts of what you're trying to deal with are that product data itself, the core of the data set that's necessary. Talk to us about what you're typically encountering and where you sort of guide clients in terms of their ability to serve up good product data. Yeah, you're completely right. Like the ability to run product-led sales motions is based on the the quality and the availability of, of product data. And I think the thing like three years ago when we started the company, this was actually was one of the biggest pushbacks from VCs where it's like, like, how are you going to get that data? It's going to be messy, this, that, or the other thing. Well, the beautiful thing that has happened in the past few years, and it's just accelerating even faster, is the role of the modern data warehouse. Snowflake and BigQuery have really fundamentally changed how businesses store their data and make their data accessible. You have data activation platforms like HighTouch and Census that make it really easy to get data out of the warehouse. So we're in a fundamentally new world where sales and marketing have access to really rich product data easily. And so it's night and day, and it's amazing. So I'm super optimistic about the future of how organizations can leverage the product data because of this new world that we live in. So I bet Thomas, he couldn't, before we jumped on this episode, he couldn't not say (laughs) Snowflake. And of course, he said it right out of the gate. It's hard. They're so synonymous these days. It is absolutely amazing. You are correct. I I feel like it wasn't that long ago, we're just talking about three years ago, where that data was hard to access. It was hard to interpret. It really feels like we've scaled them out. I think in many ways, it's probably set the table for you guys and for starting the company. If that data was so hard to access, it'd be a lot harder. You're going to probably have a loss-leading services strategy just to get your hands around that data. So what's unique about those data sets or have you gotten to a point where those data sets are fairly vanilla or there's some things that PLG leaders that are listening in right now can think, oh, geez, I should look up for this. I got to call Thomas tomorrow. But before then, I want to make sure I've got the following things lined up. Yeah, I think the challenge is, I think a couple of things. There's just so much data you likely have access to. There's so much data that your, your product and engineering teams are feeding into the warehouse. So it's really about 
two things. One, you either have to be like really thoughtful and careful about what data you sync into what platforms. And that's where like you're traditional as you're like thinking about your existing tool set that you're using is like, oh, do I sync that data into that tool? Or uh, I don't know, is, this, is, is that the right thing or is that the right thing? I don't know. Whereas the perspective we take is like, sync it all to us and we'll help you make sense of it. And if it turns out not to be useful, you can deactivate it. Or if it turns out to be useful, keep using it. And I think that's one of the powers of our platform is that flexibility of ingesting data in any form, number one. And then number two is like getting you signal out of that data. And that's again, where machine learning comes in, really help you identify the signal that can be hard to find for humans. I feel like we're not talking about rocket science anymore between having the right data sets, being able to serve the right data sets and being able to use machine learning to sort of tease out that data. I feel like quite often what we're talking about is really the ability to recognize what's good and what's not good coming out of that machine learning capability. And I'm really curious, where do you find organizations that are, you know, at the end of the day, struggling here? Is it just simply the ability to use heuristics or understand what the heuristics are in terms of what data is performant versus what is not? And is that where you guys really play a role? Yeah, I think, you know, most organizations will start out and I actually recommend starting with basic rules. Just like, let's like, oftentimes companies know what good looks like, right? And I'm surprised sometimes that they don't like have it already. But if you just, if you talk to them, it's like, oh yeah, what does a good customer look like? Let's talk about that. Let's set up some rules and heuristics and you can test those out in our tool. And that's how you sort of get going. So I kind of like talk about crawl, walk, run. But sort of getting the signals that are not as obvious or as human understandable that's where you need to take sort of this unbiased approach where you tell us what's good. You tell us what has been successful for you. And then we, from that, we can extract the signals of what does good look like and who of your new customers or new prospects are the ones you should be talking to. Some of the insights can be obvious and sometimes can be like confounding, things that you would never expect. But th that's the beauty of machine learning is you, you don't assume anything. You let the machine tell you what is right. There was a time where the word big data was really prominent. I'm going to go back 10 years now. If you remember this movement, a lot of VC dollars were wasted in the big data movement, by the way. Sorry to my VC friends. But there were some interesting things that came out of that. I, I want to use an anecdote because I just can't remember the name of the organization that did this, but it was a credit organization. Let's say it was done at Bradstreet for lack of another brand that's just not coming to me. But they were using huge data sets and they were correlating consumers' purchase behavior with their credit scores. And the thing that became crystal clear speaking to the weird stuff that pops out of these data sets that correlates to positive behavior, in this case, people buying more stuff. The number one corollary for high credit scores was people who bought cushions for the bottom of their furniture on hardwood floors, right? So I'm not sure why <laughs> you're laughing. You, you know, I'm laughing too. But I will tell you, at the end of the day, it ended up being one of the most important ways to determine whether somebody was a good credit risk. Now, I'm not sure how they understood how to get that data together <laughs> to actually pull it together. The reason I bring this up is I'm wondering, are there examples in your work where there was something as surprising as, and I don't know what these things are, but those little cushiony things that you put at the bottom of your chairs in your dining room. Is there an equivalent in your experience where you've had these just weird one-offs? So, having yet seen anything that's super wacky, it makes no sense because you often like reason about it and it's like, oh, that makes sense. I think that the thing that it ends up being hard is dialing in the right thresholds for these different things and bucketing people in the right way. I've not yet seen something that is just like makes no sense because it, oftentimes it's like it can make sense retroactively because you can tell yourself a story, but it's not might not be the initial story that you tell yourself. I think the hardest thing is really finding out the right thresholds and values and things. And it's not just like a 
I think that's the other thing. Oftentimes it's not a single thing. It's a combination of multiple signals that gives things a high score. And it's like this plus this plus this plus this. Ah, then it is good, right? And I think that's where it's, it's really would be so hard to set up in simple heuristics or rules, number one. Number two, the problem with heuristics and rules is you have to update them and then what do you update them to? And so one of the beautiful things about machine learning is you can continually retrain it and sort of keeps up with as your business evolves and as you launch new things and maybe you your product change or evolves in some ways. Well, your rules need to update, but do you know which ones? The beautiful things is machine learning can update and figure it out over time with the new data. Makes sense of sense. I'm going to wrap things up here by asking you about the current state of the data that you guys are encountering. And I would just, I have an assumption I've got to just spit out. And again, this is the outside looking in the perfect crystal palace that is PLG. Speaking as a longtime marketer, feels much easier if you build in the idea of marketing and sales into the product itself. I'm oversimplifying. But I've got to ask, do you find yourself in a situation where you're getting these data sets where it's just unmanageable, meaning they really haven't thought about product behavioral data? Or do you feel like, by and large, these organizations really understand and recognize this from the get-go as it applies to the ability to really have that cross-sale motion, the ability to actually have product-led sales? In the warehouse, I've not seen anyone who's sort of over-instrumented. Oftentimes, it's under-instrumented. I will say there have been some challenges when you, if you connect to data sources like a CDP or a product analytics platform, because you can have organizations that just instrument everything. The downside is like more for if you're trying to like configure that manually and make sense of it. The beautiful thing, again, with machine learning, like it doesn't care. If there's more data, yeah, would it run slightly more slowly to do its predictions? Sure. But it doesn't care if you send that additional signal in or noise in where you go find the signal. And I think that's one of the values is like you don't have to be as precise. And I think the, one of the reasons why we don't see it in the warehouse is to get in the warehouse is going through some curation process and somebody's deciding whether a metric goes in there or not. And maybe it's still early that people are hesitant to send too much. And so if anything, I would see it underutilization rather than an overutilization. I'm going to wrap things up. I promised before I was going to wrap things up. This is my final question. Number one heuristic for organizations that need product-led sales or sales assist, what's the number one thing they typically are experiencing? Is it slow time to first dollar? Is it NRR? What is it? I think the best way I've always like, we have all these signups. We know there's potential in there, but we're not talking to them. Why? Like we're either waiting for hand raisers or we just have a top that book. Like they know there's all this goodness in there. They have plenty of signups. They just can't keep up with it. They don't know who to target. And so I think that's the number one thing. Talking to sales leaders, just like, I have signups. I know there's value in there, but what do I do about it? And they need a platform to be able to help them to run that efficient process, elevate those best fit customers to their reps and let them run the process. Well, that's a pretty classic sign of a forming area. I don't know who to sell to. <laughs> that's pretty clear that there's a struggle out there. Learned a ton today, Thomas. Thanks for spending some time with us. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Thomas Giovanni, CEO and co-founder at Calixa, for joining us. If you would like to contact Thomas or learn more about him, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile or show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at Thomas Giovanni, or visit his company website at calixo.io. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes or listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. 
You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is MarketAdvocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we'll publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. And we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.